Hey, welcome to episode two of the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Had ours last week. If you missed it, be sure to check it out at michigan.247sports.com. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Joining me are the rest of the Wolverine 24-7 team, Steve Lorenz, Isaiah Hull. Guys, how you doing? Good. Doing very well. And Isaiah had a uh, bit of an illness last week, uh, so he didn't get to be in part of our original, our first episode. So we're going to go ahead and have him introduce himself, tell us a little bit, bit about who he is for those of us who don't work with him all the time, maybe our listeners at home that are curious who the man is behind these stories. So Isaiah, who is Isaiah Hull? Well, uh, I, uh, like you said, Isaiah Hull, I, uh, one of the beat writers here covering football, uh, primarily for Wolverine 24 seven. I also am the one that uh, takes care of a lot of the photo video work, uh, for the site. Uh, you see me down on the sidelines on game days, uh, come from Holly, Michigan, uh, about 45 minutes North of Ann Arbor, uh, graduated with a degree from film from the university of Michigan. Uh, from there, I worked in Hollywood uh, at a talent agency, the third biggest one in the world. Uh, I pursued a, an agency path where I wanted to uh, represent actors and movies and decided that wasn't for me. Came back and uh, somewhat just followed the passions of, uh, of just being around college football, and that's what brought me here. Okay, so we've got a history major, a business major, and a film major. Walk into a podcast, and this is what happens. Uh, anyway, guys, we are back, and we obviously took the questions once again from the Wolverine 24-7 board. Uh, thank you to our readers for giving us you know, some starting points. So we'll get right to these questions. Uh, the first one that we're going to do comes from NFox220. He says, favorite Bond movie? Also, how different do you expect the upcoming offense to look this season? The names will be different, of course, but what do you expect to see more or less of in the play calling and whatnot? So we'll start with the Bond movie. Uh, I, I have never seen a Bond movie uh, I'll admit it. I've never seen Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> what? So, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so you mentioned that you'd never seen a Bond before we started, but you've never seen any of the Star Wars movies either? No. I thought they were for okay. nerds, and I didn't want to be a nerd. Have you yeah, seen that's... any movies? That's maybe we should start with what movies you actually have seen. Zach. Yeah, I've uh, seen Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, okay. all yeah. six Rocky movies. Yeah. And There's seven Rocky movies, actually, though, because Creed falls in that. Oh, well, I haven't seen that. So just just those movies. That's pretty much it. What about so, you guys? So Star Wars is Star Wars is too nerdy, but the first movie you mentioned you've seen is Finding Nemo. Yeah. It's not, okay. it's not a nerd no, that movie. Makes, that, makes, that makes complete sense. I get <laughs> it. So, um, Bond movie-wise, probably Goldfinger for me. Uh, the, what, recently, late... Roger Moore uh, is the guy I always liked his Bond films the most. I don't know if it's just because those are the ones I saw mostly or most of growing up. A lot of them are on Spike TV, uh, which is which is kind of I guess where uh, I watched most of the Bond movies that I have seen. Uh, guess I Daniel Craig's done a good job. Pierce Brosnan, meh. Uh, Sean Connery, obviously the original, but. Uh, I've seen most of them, actually. Probably a, a, the majority of them. Uh, that's kind of Goldfinger's kind of the one I always lean towards. Uh, Moonraker was a pretty good one too, and it's kind of weird. I like Jaws, uh, pretty good. So uh, that's, I mean, that's the extent of my my Bond experience. See, I I agree with you with Goldfinger. That was the one that 
between Goldfinger and Goldeneye, uh, I, those were my two favorites growing up. Uh, I was a pretty big Bond fan for the most part. was never much of a Roger Moore fan, though, even though he was, uh, he was the, the Bond that was most popular when I was younger. But uh, when Casino Royale came out, I think that maybe it was because I had very low expectations for Daniel Craig as Bond. Uh, I just thought that that was so phenomenal, and that probably reigns. Maybe it's just from the shock factor. Uh, I think pretty much anything that uh, Daniel Craig has done as Bond has been pretty unbelievable, uh, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, really, to me, you can't go wrong with those, basically any Connery uh, or Daniel Craig one. I really liked Pierce Brosnan at first, but those ones are just over-the-top cheesy, I think, when you get to the end of them. Uh, the first two nice. GoldenEye is good because you can associate it with GoldenEye 64, which is one of the greatest video games ever. Uh, you could you play multiplayer. You, you had to be odd job because he was so much shorter than everybody else, and it made it harder to aim at him in multiplayer mode. Uh, but that's one of the reasons. That's why GoldenEye really, the game has always stuck out to me more than the movie has. Uh, but... I don't know. I've always been a Roger. I always like the Roger Moore ones a little bit better. I think it was kind of the. Uh, I don't have a big black and white movie guy. I give him a chance. Just turns me off though. I guess for the most part. I don't know why. Uh, you know, I just it's, he was in color. Uh, I think that made a little bit of a difference too. So, uh, and the women in those movies were beautiful uh, in every single one of them. So, uh, that that's obviously a factor as well. So I will give yeah, you Zach, a view I mean, to a kill as far as Roger Moore ones. A view to a kill was pretty amazing. Yeah, and Zach, just, like, you should uh, custom yourself a little bit more to culture in general. Uh, <laughs> I mean, those are some Look, I'm very cultured. big movies. Yeah, I know, I know Pixar movies are uh, are part of the culture. I'm not going to disagree with you there, but and uh, I think, yeah, I think some James Bond and, and some Star Wars. Uh, as, as a former yeah, film major, might. I can start sending you some of our curriculum if you want to watch, like, Breathless or Bicycle Thief or stuff like that. You know, we can start really culturing your, uh, you know, your experience uh, as far as... I already regret having both of you on at the same time. This yeah. is tough. Have you ever seen Up? Yeah, it's a <laughs> Pixar movie. No, I know, I know. I didn't, I didn't, I figured you were going to say you'd seen it. I just <laughs> I asked, so... Why do you think he asked, and Fox 220, why does he want to know which Bond movie is our favorite? Maybe he's uh, like me and he hasn't seen really it. important. Some you know, people so I like the people that ask I like the people that ask random questions in the chat every once in a while. You know, it's uh I know some people want to just kind of like how uh you know last week we did the getting to know each other thing. Yeah. Uh, I think people yeah. just kind of want to know who we are as people a little bit. So, I always appreciate that stuff. We're not that interesting. He did ask yeah, he did ask yourself. a uh, more mainstream question asking about the offense, how different it's going to look. Isaiah, I know you've been able to talk to Pep Hamilton at least in the last you know couple of weeks. Uh, do you have any sense for what they're going to do differently? Oh, we're definitely going to start seeing some more spread concepts. That's something that uh, that the the staff had actually mentioned way back in uh, in in while they were wrapping up recruiting when they talked to mm-hmm. uh, trying to wrap up Nico Collins into the class. Uh, Pep Hamilton's definitely going to bring a little bit of some of those spread elements. I think you're going to try to see him spread us. Uh, stretch the field a little bit more laterally uh, as well, just to really try to get some of those explosive playmakers out in space. I mean, you have, you know, you've got your Eddie McDoom and Nate Johnson's that are, I think somewhat forgotten about uh, in the offense with the, the thought of the, these 
most of these tall wide receivers coming in, and you've got some some backs that can really kind of take advantage of uh, spread elements like Chris Evans, and you know we'll see what happens with like Omari Samuels as well. But that's that's where we're going to start probably seeing not full on spread, obviously, but you're going to see a little bit more of a modern element, uh, especially with considering that Pep's coming from the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a, we, I asked him about uh, using some of his NFL to uh, inform his ability uh, in, at the college level, and he said it's, that's definitely going to be one of his assets that he brings to the table is being able to take what he's learned from the highest element of the sport and incorporating it here at Michigan. Steve, is that okay, going to work? So, yeah, oh, go yeah ahead. so I think, no, I was going to say, I, you know, when people talk about spread, I think they automatically start to want to talk about or think about what it does for the wide receivers. Uh, I think it's way more about, like, using a guy like, I think Chris Evans is a key guy in a situation like that uh, because of his ability to, to kind of slither through those holes. Uh, you, spread the, you spread defenses out with multiple athletes on the outside. You know, the guys they got coming in this year, the, the younger freshman guys, again, they're going to take a little bit to get acclimated, but they're already athletic. You have to, you're going to have to respect them defensively. Uh, I think it gives them more of an opportunity to use Evans. I mean, the biggest thing about Evans was that last year they were just trying to figure out ways to get the ball in his hands. Uh, he didn't have the playbook all the way down. That's why, like you see in some of the losses, but he really didn't play much of a role late in the year. Uh, was more of a playbook thing from what I know and, and defenses that were – I don't know, maybe a little tougher matchups in the front seven. They couldn't get him in the ball as easily as they could in, in, earlier in the season. Uh, I think that he's going to be kind of a key guy as far as that. I mean, he's going to be the number one guy. We already probably pretty much kind of know that. Um, but I think seeing some spread elements in there is really really going to allow them to use him uh, in a lot more different ways. Again, the thing, the other thing I keep going back to, too, and I'm interested to see what happens this season is what they do in the screen game because they really, really had to cut back on the screens after Grant Newsom got injured last year. Uh, Newsom was really mobile for a big guy. They could get him out on the edge. Uh, I think he, I think even in the Wisconsin game that he got hurt, uh, he made a couple really great plays on some screens. Uh, I know in a couple other games as well was kind of the guy that uh, would seal the edge or, or take the corner out of the play and allow their guys to make some plays on the outside. So, uh, you know, in that regard, I think it'll be really interesting uh, to see. And, uh, I mean, you have to go with what your personnel says mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Wheatley's very mobile for a tight end as well as a guy that you can mix some spread sets in with. You have Eubanks and Zach Gentry are both, like, kind of hybridish uh, tight end wide receiver types. I mean, we mm-hmm. saw them split Eubanks out in the spring game. So, you know, it's it, you kind of you do have to kind of play to your personnel a little bit. Um, but also it is, it's an, it's, you know, it is Hamilton bringing things over, uh, from the NFL. I know, I mean, Harbaugh, the rest of the staff, they're already kind of keeping an eye on that stuff anyway. Uh, you know, incorporating some of that into, into everyday, everyday playbook or whatever. But, uh, I, I always kind of look more at what it's going to do for the running backs and for the running game, because the passing game really wasn't that big of an issue last year. It was really about running game, consistent running game against hard, against, uh, tough competition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I'm interested to see, you know, where Evans kind of fits in. Remember, Michigan did not know what they were going to do with him when yeah. he first enrolled. Yeah. He was either – he could have been a defensive back, he could have been a slot receiver, he could have been a running back. So he's got the hands to make plays in the passing game, and they really didn't utilize that much la- as much last year as I think they would have wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see – uh, how they maybe incorporate him in that regard this season. Yeah, it's kind of a That's unique all. setup. I mean, they've got so many different 
guys that can do multiple things. Because even you know Khalid Hill and Henry Pogey, it's like they're they were originally pass catching guys, or at least at some point throughout their careers, they've been that way. I, you know, so I'll be I'll be really really fascinated to see what they do. I mean, I was rereading the recruiting profile of Chris Evans, and you know, it's about this time last year that everyone was like thinking that he might be a defensive back, and then he just can't can't be stopped in the running game. So it'll be really fascinating. Isaiah, do you think this is good for Wilton Spate, or do you think you know maybe he he wants to be more of a traditional kind of quarterback? I think it's good, uh, definitely for the sake of. You know, you, with with a spread type offense, you're going to be you're going to be getting the he's going to be getting the ball out of his hands uh, pretty much as quickly as possible. And honestly, when you look at the NFL, it, it's it's really moved a lot more towards having that hybrid spread offense than what what you would think of in as a traditional pro style. So it would be good for for Wilton to be able to show that he can he can make his you know those quick reads. And be able to take advantage of uh, of of his, you know having his athletes in space. I think that's also where you really will see some importance from having Greg Fry uh, coaching the the offensive line and tight ends as well. There on, on the outside is you know he has the expertise as well to to draw up those those types of packages for the spread uh, to be able to dial in those protections. Uh, that would be I think will be very key to you know, space success as well as for the running game because that's that's where it all starts and that's where it all ends, really. All right, we can move on to our next question. This one comes from C-Max Run. You can pick any two former U of M football players to immediately play one more year in their prime for the program this fall. Who do you pick? Can be favorite players and or functional picks, whatever. Uh, I'll probably... I'll, I'll start us off. I'll say, uh, you know, Charles Woodson, you probably almost always want him on your team in his prime. And then I will say, even though I'm pretty confident in the wide receivers and what they can do this year, I will say Breland Edwards just to give this big body, you know, top 10 caliber wide receiver, just put him on that team with the inexperienced group, put Woodson on the other side. And I think the the whole team... Obviously, since they were all Americans, takes a big step up. What do you guys think? Uh, I mean, you have to answer Woodson. If you don't, I think you're kind of a moron. Whether it's functional or probably favorite player, uh, you graduate all four defensive backs from last year. I mean, it's pretty pretty clear that he's got to be the guy that you put on defense. Uh, offense, again, this one's actually kind of easy for me. I would take Steve Hutchinson. Uh, would make a huge difference for Michigan's offensive line. Uh, a guy that really uh, could have could have played any of the five spots on the offensive line too. Uh, really, in my opinion, probably one of the best offensive linemen period to ever play the game. Started all four years that he was uh, in. You know, I think he redshirted his freshman year, um, but play, started all four years after that, and then never missed. He started every single game of his NFL career. <laughs> you can't really beat that. Uh, so I think Hutchinson would be the easy choice for me, just because again, two point what two point two yards per carry uh, between their three losses last season, just inability to run the ball against quality, high quality defenses late in the year, is what continues to hurt these uh, hurt Michigan year in and year out. So uh, I think he'd make a big difference there. 
Well, you guys stole both of mine between Braylon Edwards and Steve Hutchinson. So uh, I, I would have to go then if I'm looking at uh, picking a diff- couple different guys. Uh, I'll go with one of the favorites, which is uh, Mike Hart. Mike Hart was the running back for my tenure there at Michigan. Uh, obviously, didn't have the didn't have the tangibles as far as uh, as what you would look for in trying to find your prototypical back, but just got the job done. Was just incredible uh, the way that he you, you knew you were going to be able to get those couple yards if you needed them. You didn't really have to worry about all right, then we need the one or two yards. You knew that Mike Hart was going to be able to to pick those up. Uh, secondly, even though there's really no need for, uh, for more defensive ends, uh, or defensive linemen on this particular team, considering the, uh, the amount of depth they have, uh, um, another guy that was from that era that was just phenomenal, uh, is Lamar Woodley. Uh, the guy was just a beast. I always remember just seeing the, uh, the, those t-shirts that were going around campus at the time said, guns don't kill people. Lamar Woodley kills people. And it just seemed like he was just always in the backfield. And just to be able to have an elite guy that was able to play uh, at such a high level, that it would be just such a boon still, just to even even though that there's so much depth on the defensive line. Yeah, I think the one other person, because I, I was also thinking of spinning this question to who from last year you would want back, although I think that answer is probably pretty obviously Jordan Lewis and Jabril Peppers. But Is it? Well, that's I mean, that's Taco how I Charlton. Think. I mean, yeah. Taco Taco played such a at such a dominant level for the last like four or five games of the year. Uh, you know, I know they're they're deep on the edges, but you can never have enough guys that can get to the quarterback. Uh, I mean, although you do see what the defense looked like without Jabril uh, against Florida State, <laughs> you know, they were totally different defensively. Yeah. Uh, again, people his Pepper's legacy at Michigan is going to be so weird, but. Uh, you know, it, it was obvious that they really missed him. Uh, you see what Del- I mean, especially you look look at how Florida State, who ran a genius game plan, the way they used Delvin Cook in that game because they once yeah. they realized Peppers wasn't going to play. Uh, you know, but uh, Taco, man, I mean, Taco, really, in my opinion, probably I know he was the first one drafted, so it's kind of easy to make that claim. But I mean, I think he's the one who's going to have the best NFL career too because I think yeah, he's I just so. just figuring it out. Uh, always was going to be a project, always going to be a guy who was going to figure it out later. But, man, I mean, he was unstoppable uh, the last three or four games of the season. So really had one of the best individual defensive games against Ohio State that Michigan has seen in, in years and years. So uh, I don't know if it's that easy, but, you're, I mean, it's that's debatable. It's somebody, there are a lot of great players, though. Well, yeah, the way you feel about Taco Charlton, I feel about Jordan Lewis. I mean, it was it was just so amazing to watch him just shut down everybody every single week. Uh, Isaiah, do you have any, any dissenting thoughts on who you would bring back for one more year? Uh, from this past year? Yeah. Uh, not really, because I would go with, with J.D. as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, just completely off the charts, his ability to just completely you know, take that side of the field away. I mean, we only saw really one completion on him that made any kind of difference. And unfortunately, that was in the very final... That was in the very final play of the season, really, uh, defensively for Michigan in that uh, in that Orange Bowl. But he's just—he was such a difference maker, and in, you, it's really hard to replicate that. Even though Michigan's going to have some extremely talented backs uh, come in, 
And even though that we've heard from from especially their high school coaches that players like Levert Hill and uh, Ambry Thomas could be even better than JD when it's all said and done. I mean, we've got to see it because we haven't really seen many cornerbacks come in, you know, come into through this program that were as shut down as JD was. What, yep. what about Amar? What about Amar Darbo? Mm. Not, you know, not, I mean, yeah. Michigan replay has to replace pretty much all of their receiving <laughs> production from last season. Uh, you know, he and Spate had great rapport. Uh, why I think J.U. Chesson got drafted when he was, even though he didn't have a great season, is because I think Rudock had a better rapport with, with, with Chesson, and uh, and Spate had that same rapport with Darbo. Yep. I don't really think it was much more than that, you know. And, uh, you know, I think having Darbo back as a safety valve uh, at the receiver position, again, they're uber-talented there. They're going to be set at that position forever now, pretty much. Uh, but I think having a, a Darbo back for another year would have been uh, interesting would have been nice to have as well. Put it this way, offensively, I would I would have taken Darbo back before I would take Jake Butt back. I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tan- intangibles, maybe intangibles aside, because Jake was so valuable to the program to the team. Intangibly, obviously, he was super important tangibly too. But uh, I just I think at tight end, I think they know what they're doing there. I think it's a position where whoever they put there is going to produce. And uh, still, the thing about Butt wasn't the most productive blocker, uh, you know, as far as on a consistent basis either, you know, and, and maybe they won't have that again this year. I don't know, you know, but I just, uh, I think Darbo would have been, would maybe not be a bad answer in that scenario either. No, probably not. Cause I, you know, I'm very confident in the wide receivers, but you're right. Having a known commodity, someone that spate would actually like, like they'd be able to, you know, work with each other. They have a rapport. I mean, there's a known commodity benefit, to it so so that, that could be an interesting answer how about how about we challenge our listeners to think of two <laughs> different ones than what we've said and post sure. it in the comments anyway we can move on to our third and final question for this podcast this one comes from heist 22 how many top 100 players is michigan football <laughs> basketball will sign so i'll get to basketball in a second steve Tell us exactly how many they'll sign, when they'll sign, you know, what what time of day they're going to tweet. Give us give us all the details. Uh, I thought long and hard about this one, and uh, my answer is eight. Eight top one hundred picks. No, yeah, I was I was kidding. I have no clue. I mean, who knows? You know, it could be a could be a lot. Could be not many. Do you, just, do you uh, have a ballpark? Yeah, between two and eleven, probably okay. just depending Good. on, on how things that shake down. out there. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of I'm, that's where I'm at. We'll say between two and eleven at this point. Okay. Well, for the basketball side, I I'm gonna tentatively guess two. I believe they've got two or three more spots. We'll see how things shake out. You know, picking up. They still have one spot in 2017. They've already got David DeJulius. I don't think he's gonna. He just moved down in our in the composite rankings. So my guess is that he's not going to suddenly move up into the top 100, uh, despite how good he looks on film, at least in my eyes, but they are in on a lot of top 100 guys. Uh, Brandon Johns. We'll see what happens there. Uh, not that one's not looking too super optimistic. Jerome Hunter. Uh, we'll see Ignis Brzezdykis. 
uh, the Canadian guy that actually knows Nick Stauskas fairly well. Uh, even even Gabe Brown's in the top 100. So they've got a few guys. My guess is that whether it's after they commit or or before they commit, there'll be a couple guys in that three or four member class that are in the top 100. But just like Steve, I cannot tell you who is going to commit and where they'll rank or you know what what color shirt they're going to wear when they commit. Uh, Why are you holding out on us? I I wish I wish it were that easy, Isaiah. I wish it were. Maybe 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 I'll I'll get something together for hockey and I'll have all the breakdowns there or something like that. Uh, hey, about David DeJulius though, the thing like you know, I don't know fan, I don't know people aren't as invested in the basketball recruiting side of things as far as like griping. Uh, mm-hmm. But with DeJulius, I always go back to the way he was offered. Uh, and how quickly it happened. Yeah, that's a uh, good always, sign for Michigan absolute, fans. Yeah. Absolutely, because that is so far out of Beeline's, I don't want to say comfort zone, but just so far out of his style mm-hmm. uh, to offer and pursue a guy in that fashion. Uh, that's what, Yeah, that's about as good an indication as you're going to get that yeah. Beeline really likes the guy. So uh, he's, a, he's a commit that a fan should be really excited about. I agree. I, I kind of think it's, uh, I don't know if he's a top 100 guy, uh, I, but I do think it's peculiar that, uh, he didn't move up after the, uh, what was it, the EYBL Yeah, he, he, uh, I mean, there were a lot of yeah. guys that did well, but, I mean, his final eight games, I did a story on this, and because I, I had Gabe Brown on the podcast yet, last week, and he went, you know, he went out of his way to talk about DeJulius and how well he, he did, and, I mean, he's he's kind of, he reminds me a lot, it's an easy comparison because of the same size and have the same hometown, but he kind of reminds me of Derek Walton, you know, though he's sure. like a walking triple-double threat, you know he I, he needs to improve his three point shot. He only shot 33 percent from three in the EYBL, but that's that's a pretty small thing. Uh, you know I I think I'd like to see him work a little bit more on defense. But he really looks a lot like Derek Walton in the way that he sets other guys up, uh, the way he moves up and down the court, and you know both laterally uh, and and up and down. Uh, he almost looked a little faster than Walton, but I don't know if that's just the style of play uh, that has changed a little bit. But no, he he should be he's someone and you know Steve alluded to this. John Beeline watched him play. They had visited and talked and stuff. But then he drops 47 points. You know, I I, I can't remember if he actually got a triple double, but he was flirting with a triple double and 47 points. Beeline offered him day of, and anyone who has ever followed basketball recruiting knows that you can probably count on one hand the number of guys Beeline has done that to. So very good sign uh, for DeJulius and for Michigan. And as for the other guys, there's a lot of guys that they're in on, and you know it's 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 interesting because they're battling different teams for all of them. It's not like they're all Michigan, Ohio State, or Michigan, Michigan State. So we'll see what they can do. I, I'm pretty sure that they're expecting this class to be one of their better ones uh, in Beeline's tenure. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's it for the questions. But Steve, before the show, you said that you had some. You're going to write a story in just a little bit about this but speaking of recruiting tyler shuck the at one time the michigan crystal ball favorite for the second quarterback in the 2018 class uh things things have changed a little bit how about you tell us what changed and and what what you think of the news right yeah i just didn't really feel like typing it out so i just would speak it instead um so on Michigan, I'm probably on the verge of switching my crystal ball to North Carolina. Uh, I almost did it last night. Michigan did not know that Chuck was going to be visiting North Carolina, uh, as we reported. 
think what, last week or about a week and a half ago, uh, that Cal and Indiana were kind of the two schools that Michigan was keeping a close eye on as far as uh, can, you know who they were contending against or who they were up against in that recruitment. Uh, one of those things where kind of odd a uh, little bit. Uh, they did not, ex- like I said, they did not expect him to visit North Carolina, or they didn't. They, there was no expectation he was going to. Uh, he's still probably going to decide in the next like three or four weeks. Uh, but like I said, Michigan had a conversation with him on Sunday. It was a positive conversation, but I do know uh, that following that conversation, there was a little bit of uh, hesitation as far as maybe Shuck wanting to go somewhere that he might have a better chance to play a little bit earlier at. Uh, you know, kind of one of those things that uh, I was off a little bit on, uh, just based on what he's told me publicly before, what he's told everybody publicly. Uh, you know, just kind of one of those things that you can report what you're told, um, but it's still kind of always in the back of your mind as far as, like, it's really hard to turn down an opportunity where maybe you could play a little bit faster somewhere else. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm – really close to switching my crystal ball to North Carolina. The one thing I'm waiting on, and I know it's still a possibility, is that Michigan may get him back up for a visit uh, before he makes a decision. So basically my crystal ball is going to be dictated on whether or not that second visit comes to fruition. If they if they can't get him back up or they're not going to get him back up, I'll probably have to lean uh, towards North Carolina, who I'm assuming, you know, pitched the Mitch Trubisky thing. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound like the NCAA is going to be handing down anything North Carolina-wise anytime soon. So, you know, I don't think that's much of a factor with them recruiting-wise right now. So, uh, you know, one of those things, the other thing, too, uh, depending, I do think that Michigan would still at least go through some pretty heavy evaluations to uh, maybe look, still look for a second quarterback in the class, which actually in a, in a way makes this Saturday's A4 camp kind of important maybe because it may give them a chance to evaluate some guys that they they're got like they invite they only invite kids that they like uh to these camps. I mean there are other kids that sign up but as far as the when they extend an invitation, you know, they're legitimately looking for guys uh that maybe they would really consider. Not just nineteens and twenties at this point either, like maybe some eighteens too. Uh so A four will be really interesting on Saturday as far as where what comes out of that. You know, if they see a guy they like enough, knowing what's maybe going on with the Shuck right now. Uh, maybe extend an offer. I probably would guess not on that. They'd probably wait a little bit longer, um, but could see maybe the next guy in the pecking order, uh, you know, maybe emerge. So, yeah, it's kind of the scoop there. I didn't really feel like typing all that out. So uh, I just figured, like I said, I'd just say it instead. Again, everything's rock solid with Joe Milton, so there's really no issue there as, as mm-hmm. Florida continues to pursue Justin Fields and uh, really – the fields recruitment is going to drag on so long that I think, you know, the Florida, you know, I think there have been fans concerned about, you know, what if Florida decided to turn around and push on Milton again, if it would make a difference. Uh, I don't really think it's going to at this point, just because they're going to keep pursuing fields and he looks like he's in no hurry to make another decision after opening things back up. So should be good there. Uh, again, I would say it'd be remiss to say that Michigan would not be disappointed. I mean, there'd be some disappointment there because, I think there's, for a long time, they felt like they were going to get both guys, you know, and Chuck, growing up a Michigan fan, had a good visit from what we were told. Uh, you know, I think there was some, I don't know if there was a report, I heard some rumors about that the visit didn't go well. I mean, I, from what I was told, that was strongly refuted. So, 
uh, not really the issue. Uh, I just think maybe North Carolina a place he could get on the field a little bit earlier. So, yeah, yeah. This, a little bit of a disappointment, but you know, if it, if again, if that turns out, like I said, my crystal ball, I'm waiting to see if Michigan gets him back. If they get him back up, then we'll see what happens. Okay, okay. Well, the thing that we were going to talk about next kind of got a wrench thrown in that we were going to talk 2019 basketball recruiting and who might get the first offer, be the first commit. Well, it already happened while we were recording this. Uh, Taylor Curry out of Clarkston, 149th overall in the 2019 class, committed. Uh, I, I'll obviously... To Michigan? Yeah. Oh, right now? Oh, wow. Yeah. Crap, been, we should, probably, we I'm should already, probably get on that. I've already got... I'm, I'm pretty much done with my... my Quick story. Okay, um, <laughs> that, that's funny. Yeah, Yay, hey, always, oh, hey, always great timing with everything. It, you, right. it is, it is. Everyone in the industry says it, but it's uncanny about how when a commitment will come about. Where it's like, tell you when you, you I'll be sitting on my computer or around for like all day, or all day, and then it's like the one I got to go out and do something, and you leave for fifteen minutes, and it happens. I mean, I. When Dylan McCaffrey committed to Michigan last February, I about had a mental breakdown because it was like the first weekend I had taken off in about five or six weeks at least. And he committed at 10 o'clock on like a Thursday uh, while I was out at a bar in Chicago. I had no way of writing a story, had no way of getting to it, and I just I just completely lost it. Like, you know, because that's just the way, it, you know, it always kind of seems to fall that way, so... Oh, that's kind of actually, what, actually what happened with with me with Milton because uh, you were out of town for Joe Milton. We had stuff. We, we knew it. We knew he was going to commit. We knew the general point in time that he was going to commit, and uh, so we had we had everything ready to go. But I had a I had a big family dinner that night, and we were out to eat. And I was like, "Watch, he's gonna he's gonna end up doing it the moment my food comes." And sure enough, they as soon as they put my put my food in front of me, he, there it was. Joe Milton commits. So, yeah, yeah it's, I, it's uncanny. We were on the highway. We were on the highway, just entering Asheville. On our way back, we went down to we went down to Charleston. We were just just on the highway. We were just getting into Asheville uh, when he pulled the trigger. We were just waiting for him to release his video. And yeah, it's just it's uh, you know, I've learned. I used to freak out, like I said, like the McCaffrey thing. Like I was like just I was furious uh, just because it was like. There was no expectation he was going to at that point. That one was kind of out of nowhere as far as the timing. Uh, but you just learn after a while. Uh, you can only control so much. You can't really be there every time something like that happens. So uh, that's hilarious, though, that a kid just committed while we're trying to record this, though. So Yeah, it was, no like, it was like minute three. So <laughs> <laughs> like I, I almost thought about like shutting it down and writing it and getting back to it. But anyway, uh, about Curry, since he committed... Uh, instant reactions. I mean, he, play, he he's originally from Columbus, and then he moved to Clarkston this past year. Played with uh, Michigan State commit Foster Lawyer, uh, but Ohio State and Michigan State both had ins on him. So Michigan for Michigan to get him uh, can be seen as somewhat of a win. I mean, he's he's a three star, but he's a higher three star at 149, six foot nine, 205 pounds. Um, probably a little bit more of a forward than a center. Uh, obviously, we'll have a lot more information on all this, you know, once we're done with the podcast and everything. But uh, they've got one. You know, I, I don't know exactly how many spots they're going to have in 2019. Uh, it kind of depends on what Mo Wagner and Charles Matthews end up doing. Uh, and then also, you know, a couple years down the road. But beyond him 
and Steve, feel free to jump in on this, but seems like they're going to start in-state because there is actually some pretty good in-state talent. Uh, Terry Armstrong from Flint, you know, he's a about as high of a four-star as you can get without being a five-star. Romeo Weems, ranked a little bit lower in the rankings, but people really like him. He got selected to be on the U16 USA national team. I believe he's still playing with them right now throughout the summer. So a couple couple big in-state ga- in-state names. Uh you know, Steve, we don't necessarily do basketball recruiting as much as we do football recruiting. Anyone else stand out to you as as guys that might be worth watching this summer? Well, Jordan Mitchell, uh just talked to him. Probably he's the number 1 player in the state of Ohio. Uh probably a guy that I'm assuming Michigan will offer at some point. He's really good. Uh, they've kind of been on him for a little bit, but uh, he's one of the first guys I feel like they contacted today. You know, with uh, Holtman getting hired at Ohio State and, and him declaring that they're going to, you know, close the fence or whatever coaches say when they're talking about in-state recruiting after they just got hired. Uh, you know, could be an interesting battle between Michigan and Ohio State. I know he's got, I think he's got Florida, Iowa, and Xavier as well. Xavier is always a school, to, you know, kind of a school to watch out for uh, recruiting-wise. Anyway, Michigan fans should know that. So. Uh, you know, Jordan Mitchell's one to watch. Honestly, uh, not as in tune right now as uh, with the 19s. Uh, there are a few guys. I know there's a, a couple kids, or there's a kid out of Jesuit uh, that didn't even have a profile that Michigan contacted. And then uh, another kid from Southfield, his name was uh, Beverly. Last name was Beverly. Okay. Was a guy that they had contacted as well. So, uh they're going to be, it's, it's because it's going to be a little bit of a larger class, I, I would anticipate it will be. Uh, they're going to be a little bit more, it's going to be a little bit more fun than it has been the last couple cycles because the last couple cycles have been kind of boring, I kind of feel like. Uh, you know, they got their 17s committed relatively early in the process. I mean, obviously, Curry kind of continuing that trend with 18, but or uh, with 19, but uh, you know what I mean? But yeah. it should be a little bit more exciting, more targets, uh, you know, because it is. Michigan has, that's one of the, things about covering Michigan basketball recruiting is that they usually have such a narrow focus on, uh, you know, as far as who their top targets are and stuff that it's, you know, and the basketball recruits are harder to get a hold of or get scooped from than football recruits are, which, you know, with the whole uh, respect my decision, no interviews movement uh, in football recruiting, <laughs> you know, it's not as e- it's not as easy there as it used to be either. So, uh, but it's even harder in basketball. I mean, you, you remember like, with the Mo Bamba stuff, it's like impossible. Oh, no one had a clue. Yeah, right. It's impossible to to really get a read on what he was going to do because like they, these kids are like Teflon. You can't touch them. You can't find them. Like you know, they're 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 like mysteries. You have to you have to catch them in person, uh, which you're not going to fly all the way out to wherever he's at to to interview him for mm-hmm. some generic quotes that aren't going to give you any indication of what he's going to do anyway. So, uh, you know, so yeah, it'll be interesting. Curry, probably a guy that I think fans probably aren't going to be too thrilled about based. On ranking only just based on the ranking only and because he's kind of one of those tweener power forward center guys that Michigan really hasn't at least in my opinion haven't had a ton of luck with I don't think right am mm-hmm. I am I wrong here as far as like that type of build is not a guy that they've had no a lot of production early from, in, right early in Beeline's tenure like honestly like Mark Donnell he'll probably get a lot of comparisons to Mark Donnell small yeah see that's small not for a center anybody. big for a forward but you know Jordan Morgan did did well. I mean he was only six foot eight, I believe, and he he ended up being. But it took him a few years, right? You know, and then Isaiah Livers, 
you know, we'll see. I, I think I think he'll kind of give us a good template for what maybe the expectation could be uh, for Curry. But yeah, I agree. You know, if you're if a three star commits the same day he offers, I think most fans are going to kind of read that as a oh maybe they should have offered him right away. They should have gone after some bigger fish. But you know, I, the one thing that you can appreciate about Beeline, I think, with these tentative or these very short leash kind of offers he's not going to offer someone he doesn't believe can contribute you know he's not well, he's not handing out a bajillion and getting whatever sticks of course not and it's but in his and he's got you know again uh, basketball is so funny to me because i feel like it's like it's a revolve it's a it's a broken record every year because you know it'll come to like what like november december and people will probably be like down and like wondering what the heck's going on and then by late february and into march they'll be right where they're going to be <laughs> and everybody will be happy again and i kind of feel like it's that way with the way he develops players and with recruiting because i mean until what about halfway through this year what would people have thought about Derek walton you know and 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 look what happened with him now he you know he leaves as one of the better players to come through under beeline and uh, you know, development with guys like Marr and with guys like, uh, well, Irvin maybe not as much, but uh, with, well, with Wagner or with Wilson. I know Wilson's gone now, but still, you know, the, the guys like that where it was like, well, what are we ever going to get out of this guy or who's this guy? He didn't have offers from anybody. We kind of had this song and dance every year, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, he deserves as much of a leash or as much faith. Uh, as anybody, really, maybe in college basketball, as far as, like, you need to trust who he brings in, who he evaluates. Because, yeah, if they offered a kid like Curry right away, uh, that's, oh, you know, they're, you know, if he's probably, I mean, again, I think he's the only reported offer, right, let alone commit right now. So Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, sure they've handed out a couple more. but may, yeah, yeah, but but not many, right? Mm-hmm. So Well, and, and, you know, even with... You know, you mentioned not so much with Zach Irvin and and Glenn Robinson. I mean, those were two of his three or four highest rated recruits, and they were not very highly rated when he first offered. So you don't know. I mean, you never know what Curry's going to become, or some of these other. I mean, Scout has him as the number one or the number fifty-one player in the entire class. Uh, so it's kind of we'll see what happens when more people get eyes on him or get get a look at his film, including us. I have a story up you know, kind of bare, bare bones minimum right now, but we'll have a lot more probably by the time this thing is published. And so 2019 for football, I mean, have they, how, how far into that are they? This can be for both you guys since Isaiah hasn't talked in a while. I mean, are they, is it kind of the same thing where right about now is when they start picking it up or when does that timeline start? Well, I, I don't have much of an answer as, as much as Steve would have. I would say that in, and being on the ground with some of the satellite camps uh, earlier uh, this month, that this is where they they say that they're they're starting to really get into their evaluative process. Now we've seen a flurry of 2019 offers go out in the last couple months, so it's not exactly fully new. But while they are focusing very much on the 2018 class, you're starting to see them start those that the building bro- uh, building blocks and the processes to get this. 2019 class uh, going and trying to find maybe some diamonds in the rough now that aren't maybe getting, you know, getting those looks that uh, that, uh, players who are already firmly entrenched in like the top 24 seven guys that are looking to make a move 
So that's that's part of what you start to see with them going around the country and seeing some of these guys and whether that starts to unturn a few stones or not is yet to be seen, but uh, Steve can answer that probably a lot better than I can. We're talking about 19? Yeah. Yeah, this is like, uh, this is offered national names and names around the country in areas where you can't be all the time uh, to kind of get your foot in the door. I mean, obviously, we've talked a ton or written a ton about what they do in Georgia, uh, Florida, obviously, California, Texas. I mean, the, the usual suspects as far as that goes. You, you extend those offers out, uh, kind of start the process there. Keep your, you know, they're, they're obviously they're keeping basically a running board, you know, of, of who they like at each position within each class. And then uh, you kind of go from there. And then in-state, closer to home, you just kind of watch the kids that you're looking at like a hawk. You know, I know people... Uh, having a fit that they haven't offered Julian Barnett, for instance, out of Belleville, when Michigan knows damn well what Julian Barnett is capable of right now. They know how good of a player he is. They know what they like about him or whatever. Uh, you just have to be very, very careful about how you approach in-state recruiting. Uh, you know, I know it's like, well, Ohio State, you know, with Julian Barnett, they haven't offered him either, right? So it's like you're on even playing ground right there. You know, if Michigan – turns out offers a kid like that before Ohio State does, then they should have the upper hand or whatever, you know, naturally. Uh, so you, it's the same way, like, you look at it reverse. Uh, when you see schools like Auburn or Georgia or whoever offer, like, a Dobbs or a Barnett, it's, it's that same idea to where it's not going to hurt Auburn's standing if they offer a kid in the state of Michigan and then maybe down the road they're like, eh, I don't think we're really going to pursue this guy or this isn't a guy we think we're going to make a push for. When – for them in the state of Alabama or for Georgia in the state of Georgia or Ohio State in the state of Ohio, you have to be way more selective about who and when you offer uh, because you don't want to get yourself into a situation where you offer a guy, you keep evaluating him, and you're like, ah, this guy didn't really, didn't really turn out the way we thought he might. We don't know if he's worth a scholarship anymore. Then you're just risking relationships, and and you know possibly you're walking on eggshells with some high school coaches and stuff. So that's kind of where they're at right now. Uh, spread things nationally. They've been very selective in state. Uh, I'm assuming they. I'm sure they'll make more offers in the state in 19. There's some a few really good kids. I know one guy that I like at Grand Valley is a kid named Lance Dixon out of West Bloomfield. I mean, this guy looks like a legit player for sure, and he looks like a guy who would fit that Viper position too. Uh, long arms, six three, six four, uh, can play safety, but looked quick. You know, looked like he's got the frame to build up some weight and maybe play some outside linebacker too. So, you know, there are other guys that'll emerge as far as in-state goes. But yeah, right now in nineteen, it's really about getting your name out there with the national prospects, getting your foot in the door in some races that are probably going to be like national type ones, and then you know, kind of go from there. I mean, it's you know, it's. We've been doing a pretty good job. It's pretty clear there's some guys in 19 that they're already higher on than others, like Chris Hinton out of Atlanta, uh, Stephen Heron out of, out of Louisville, uh, you know Noah Kane, who will be on the number one running back. He'll be on campus next week. Uh, you know, so guys like that. I mean, there are guys you know that have established themselves. Dobbs is. I know people like can't quite figure that out, like, but he is a guy that they really like, and uh, is a, that they just can't recruit these kids directly yet. So, uh, you know, it's it's. A lot of times at this point it's on the kid to call the coaches or 
arrange the visit, you know, because they coaches and the, nobody in the staff can, can contact these kids at all, you know, or like a Nolan Rumler, another one that obviously Michigan's really high on. So, you know, there's a little bit of a board developing there, but the, the bulk of the meat of it right now is just getting your foot in the door with some guys across the country and then kind of keep reevaluating and then keep evaluating new names. And then you just kind of go from there and, and build your board. All right. Well, we will have plenty, plenty, plenty of recruiting stuff. I'm seeing Michigan, basketball offering a couple more guys so by the time this comes out hopefully we've written about it uh football obviously that is our bread and butter here at michigan that 247sports.com but for now we'll move on to our lightning round at the end uh, we've got five football statements or answers or questions however you want to do them and we'll just run through them if you've got a couple sentences to explain why we can otherwise we can treat it like a lightning round and and, and go quickly uh, so first, guys, who will lead the team in receiving? We'll say receiving yards in 2017. Well, I guess I'll start. Uh, I'm going to go with Tariq Black. Uh, obviously a true freshman early enrollee. Uh, all the hype surrounding Donovan Peoples-Jones as far as coming in as the nation's top wide receiver. Uh, but Tariq Black, he, he, led the, uh, he led the team in uh, – the entire team in catches, not in yards, in the spring game uh, in April. And he's a guy that the coaches have raved because he's catching everything that seems to come anywhere near his radius. He just seems to have that kind of it factor as far as being a wide receiver. I'm going to say Kakoa Crawford uh, didn't get talked a lot, didn't get talked about enough this spring, in my opinion, uh, basically because he's pretty much entrenched himself as a starter, which I think causes people to kind of forget about guys sometimes. Uh, I'd say about Tariq Black, though, he kind of reminds me, like you look at his ball skills, at least what he showcased in the spring game, he looks like a Braylon Edwards-style receiver, just maybe doesn't have that track speed that Edwards had. But, man, he's the, the high point of the ball, uh, playing with, the, you know, going one-on-one on, one on one balls. I mean, he won every one of those, I think, that he had in the spring game. So he's, uh, he's definitely a possibility for me. I just like Crawford. Uh, I think Crawford's more established as a blocker. I think that's why he saw the field so early and often last year. And, uh, again, a guy that really was just already kind of penciled in as a starter and so didn't get as much reps, didn't get as much love in the spring game uh, as, as some of the other guys did that they maybe wanted to see a little bit more of. So uh, I'm going to go with Kakoa Crawford for sure. Well, I'll say – I was going to say Tariq Black. So my second guy, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I, I think, you know, even if – Things, you know, if health or whatever hampered his spring a little bit. He's, in my opinion, too talented to to keep off the field and keep away from the ball. On the defensive side, who is going to lead the team in tackles this season? Uh, I'll I'll have to go with uh, with a guy who we saw a little bit uh, this past year, but not too much of, in Devin Bush. Uh, Linebacker is obviously going to be one of those positions where you're going to see a lot of guys uh, rack up a lot of tackles, but Bush would have been a more prominent uh, member of the of the class last year if it wasn't for he was essentially just trying to get acclimated. Uh, obviously, we saw him make some mistakes here and there, uh, mostly of the mental variety. Uh, the staff is really high on what he can do, what his capability is. You can totally see him um, coming on in a big way, really establishing a name for himself in 2017. I'm going to go with Mike McCray. Uh, 
probably the leader of this defense this year, along with probably Gary and, and probably Tyree Kinnell. Uh, again, kind of like Crawford, I don't think McCray really gets talked a lot about, didn't get talked about enough this spring. Uh, a guy that finally finally healthy last year, and you saw what he could do. I know coaches love him. Really great mix of athleticism and size on the, on the outside there. So uh, I think McCray will lead the team in tackles this year. Yeah, I'll say McCray as well. I mean, he was second last season behind Ben right. Gideon. So, you know, with 76. So maybe, maybe Devin Bush, maybe Kalik Hudson will get in there. But to me, I, I think Michigan really feels like they can put McCray out there for every sequence, every play set, you know, all this and that. They're not going to be rotating him out as much as maybe they will for some of the other guys. So, and, and just like that they know that they can count on him, I think that will put him in position to make more of the tackles. Number three, uh, I don't remember if we wanted this to be a player or a recruit, but that is the least talked about that we're expecting uh, will be different come come the season. Maybe you know someone that's under the radar right now but is going to have a season that people, people maybe aren't expecting. Um, I'll go, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go completely off the radar with this. And I'm going to go with uh, just a. I'm going to go with someone that's just a uh, who's just made their way to campus, and I'm going to go with uh, Luigi Villain, uh in the sense of not necessarily going to be the most unheralded when it comes to to players on the team overall. Uh, this isn't. I'm, I'm picking strictly out of the class. Uh, he was just a, a high, could be a high impact guy as as far as a recruit, uh, ranked 56 nationally. Uh, from the uh, 2016 class, uh, he just made the campus here recently. He, he's a guy that I think a lot of people are forgetting about, just because you have your Aubrey Solomon, and obviously we're finally going to get to see a player like Rashawn Gary in a starting role. Uh, I think the lane can come in, make a pretty quick impact, uh, really just show that why he ended up just flying up the recruiting rankings, and he's definitely going to be a guy that we'll see see get some early playing time i'm so about yeah luigi is the quintessential doesn't get talked about because his recruitment wasn't dramatic and because he was a michigan you know he committed to michigan early and stayed committed kind of guy uh which tends to happen a lot really one of the almost under talked about top 100 recruits that i can ever remember michigan signing so uh, that, I think that's a good answer. I'm going to go a little bit of a different route. I think Ben Bredesen is ready to take the next step uh, at the offensive line. I think he's got a lot of Mason Cole in him. I think he's a guy who would potentially be better than Mason Cole has been for Michigan. Uh, versatility, I mean, I think we're I think we're pretty sure he's going to play in the interior. Uh, I know he struggled a little bit against Florida State last year. I think that's a big learning experience for him. I think it's something that he's kind of taken uh, with him into this off season. I know when I talked to some people during the during spring ball, uh, Bredesen was consistently mentioned as one of the guys that was having the best spring. So I think Ben's going to take that next step, and uh, I think Cole will kind of pass the mantle on uh, to Ben after he leaves. But I think this will be a big year for Bredesen. I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see more consistent and better guard play this season. Uh, you know, despite losing the three starters that they lost. All right. Well, my guy. I mean, we'll see. Because the guy ahead of him is going to, I think, be probably the centerpiece of Michigan's offense. But 
I'm going to say Karan Higdon. I mean, I there were times where I just saw him look pretty much ready to be one of the Big Ten's better running backs. Obviously, not all the time, but I think... I think, you know, especially if they're doing a little bit more spread action, if they start bumping Chris Evans in the slot or outside a little bit, and if that stuff clicks, you know, I could see him being a guy that, one, fits that system, and two, gets a lot of touches, gets a lot of yardage, and maybe maybe becomes a little bit more of a focal point of the offense versus last season where he was just kind of in here and there. Anyway, number four, who scores the first touchdown for Michigan of the season? Uh, I'm going to completely uh, count my way out here and say Chris Evans. Just going to make it real easy. He's just got just too much versatility. You saw what he did in the, in the first game of the season this past year. Uh, two touchdowns as a true freshman. Granted, he didn't, he didn't get the first touchdown, but uh, going up against a bit tougher competition against Florida than they did last year against Hawaii, but you know, we already saw that he can he can brutalize even really good defenses. Uh, he he had that big touchdown against Florida State. Clearly, ready to take his game to that next step. I I totally can see him getting those first points for for the Wolverines against Florida. Uh, I don't really see this as like a, qu- a question I'm going to elaborate much on. I'm just going to say I think that Tyrone Wheelie Jr. scores the first touchdown for Michigan this season. I'll say. Kakoa Crawford. But yeah, I agree. Just kind of kind of a shot in the dark here. Uh, someone can call us out when it doesn't happen or if it does happen. A little <laughs> yeah. bit more analytical, but but another yeah. another quick one. Who returns the first punt for Michigan? I'm going to say David Long. Uh, he's They're going to be looking at a bunch of different guys uh, to be that returner. And obviously, it's wide open with Jabril being gone. But uh, David Long's got that speed uh, that... I think they're looking for. He had that. Uh, he ha- had that race against Chris Evans, where they uh, he narrowly won uh, there in the off season uh, that they posted on the uh, football Twitter account. Uh, I think David Long's got th- got a really good shot at uh, at being that guy. I'm not going to really go much more into that, I guess, than that. That'd be neat if it was Long. I mean, because he he idolized Woodson probably more than any kid they've signed since. Since I've been covering it, that'd be kind of cool if he could establish himself in that role. I really don't know. I mean, I just uh, I I don't think it's going to be Ambry Thomas. Uh, maybe you know Nate Johnson had the fumbling issues in the spring game. Again, I, I, it's hard to tell if that's going to if that made or, or you know if that broke his opportunity. Uh, I, I actually I'll probably I'll probably go with Isaiah. I'll say Long. I think he's got that type of ability. Uh, he definitely has a straight line speed, as Isaiah alluded to. Really though. Again, I know I've talked about this on the site a lot. Such an under-talked-about topic is what they're going to do with special teams this season just because they've been so good in special teams the last two years, uh, mainly because of Peppers, and they pretty much have to reinvent the wheel this year. I mean, with between Pepper, losing Peppers and Kenny Allen, uh, I mean, their special teams is going to look completely different this season. So uh, really interested to see how that plays out. I'm going to say long for now, but I do think it's pretty much up in the air right now. Uh, I'll say I'll say McDoom. I really, really, really like the way he ran laterally a little bit last season, and I think that will bode well. I don't know, you know, none of us really know who's actually going to return it, but I think he is someone that, like, when I saw him run and, like, kind of beat the edge a couple times, that really came off to me as someone who could 
do really well in the return game. But yeah, it's it's still a 10, 10 person race. I don't think Michigan has actually narrowed it down that much yet. Anyway, that's it for the lightning round. Uh, this has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Thank you to Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull for joining me, Zach Shaw, here on the show. Episode 2, uh, we did not go much shorter than we did in Episode 1, so we'll, we'll try to pick up the pace in our third try. But nonetheless, on behalf of everyone at michigan.247sports.com, where you can check out all of our coverage, I want to wish you a good weekend, and thanks for listening.